This February, attend CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference and advocate for the financial well-being of every person in every community across the country. Demonstrating the credit union difference to lawmakers starts with you. Register today at cuna.org GAC. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Twenty twenty two was another successful year for the CUNA League advocacy team, both in terms of what it accomplished and the bad ideas it stamped out. Looking ahead, this team will continue working to expand credit union powers and opportunities, reduce regulatory barriers, and protect credit unions' role in the financial system. It all starts with a simple motto trust credit unions to serve their members. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Jason Sturrock, CUNA's Deputy Chief Advocacy Officer, highlights advocacy wins from 2022, looks ahead to priorities in 2023, and shares what he likes most about the CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference, which will be held February 26th to March 2nd in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Jason, to the CUNA News Podcast. It's great to, to talk to you today. Good to be back with you, Bill. You were recently named a top lobbyist by The Hill and some other organizations. What is your your secret sauce to lobbying and what do you do that, that works best, do you think? Bill, thank you for the recognition. But as I told my team, you know, it, it's a team effort and that, that's the secret sauce. I am, I'm incredibly proud to lead, I think, one of the best uh, advocacy government relations teams in Washington, D.C., and that's not boasting. You know, when you look at the ballast research information on the effectiveness of CUNA's advocacy efforts, we're the number one respected association in Washington, D.C. For, for those efforts. So I, I think that, that that secret sauce is the incredible people here at CUNA, uh, and not only at CUNA here, but across the country at our leagues, the individual credit unions that are doing fantastic work on behalf of their members to help serve their communities. Yeah, it seemed like 2022 was another great year for CUNA League advocacy. How, um, how are you feeling about things? How did things go uh, for you this year? I, it, absolutely fantastic. I mean, obviously, as with everything uh, when dealing with Congress, you never get all the things that you want. But I think that uh, in terms of credit union priorities, uh, we help move the ball down the field even further. Incredibly happy that we're able to pass and get signed into law the member expulsion bill, which will help allow credit unions to have additional authority to expel members for specific reasons. In addition, you know, after being told we would not be able to get it out of the House, the, the House of Representatives did pass the largest uh, charter modern organization in field of membership in over a decade. Uh, while it's stalled in the Senate, we've moved that discussion forward, uh, which is incredibly important as, as advocacy is not just limited by the two years of Congress in session. It's that continual 360, you know, 365 days a year, year after year after year, educating current members, new members, old staff, new staff uh, on issues that they should, uh, should support. And then obviously, a lot of our efforts uh, this year uh, were helping uh, stamp out bad ideas uh, in terms of the, you know, the Durbin-Marshall 
uh, interchange bill. Uh, CUNA has been at the forefront uh, in opposition uh, in, in leading the fight against that bill. Uh, also on the issue of overdraft protection, CUNA uh, has been leading efforts to protect the entire financial services industry on that uh, because, you know, we have a simple motto, you know, trust credit unions to serve their members. And whether it's on ODP and interchange or uh, a myriad of other regulations that I've been proposed, that are unneeded because as democratically elected member owned institutions, uh, you know, we know what is best to serve our members and we've doing a fantastic job of it for many years. So moving back just a little bit, what will modernization allow credit unions to do now that they weren't able to do before? In terms of member expulsion, you know, we've had many instances, and I think it came to light, I think, in Minnesota, uh, and I think also in Kentucky, but mainly in Minnesota, with a bipartisan effort by, you know, led by a Democrat Senator Tina Smith uh, on the Senate side and House Republican Tom Emmer, you know, to give additional flexibility or have the NCAA set that up so that members can more easily expel you know, unruly individuals, or as I think in some instances, they've threatened to rob the credit union, rob the credit union, and still couldn't be expelled as a member, or, and it becomes down to safety where you've had tellers or employees that have been subject of harassment, protection orders, but they're also members of the credit union. We could not get them expelled. So it was a common sense solution to allow credit unions to be able to protect their institutions and their employees from uh, criminal activity and uh, some very bad actors that were members of their credit unions. Great to see that common sense prevails every once in a while. It is Washington, and that rarely happens, but uh, you know we're happy that, that, that it does every once in a while. So where do we stand on the interchange issue? What's, what's the latest on that? Well, we, we have until January 3rd at 11.59.59 a.m. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, an ability for Congress uh, to get something done. And, and I joke a little bit on that, but we're going to run through the tape to use a sports analogy. Obviously, Congress was supposed to wrap up on this Friday, but they are, it looks like they're going to pass a one-week extension, a continuing resolution to keep the government funded. Three of the four corners have agreed upon the top-line budget numbers for an omnibus bill to fund the government for all of 2023. Now we're just going to wait and see what's in the text on that. So uh, this is where we're, you know, we're reaching out once again, reminding leadership, members of the House Financial Services and the Senate Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs Committee that uh, interchange is a no-go. It's not something that's supported. It's never had a hearing in either chamber. And it's uh, it's incredibly detrimental to credit unions' ability to offer loans and credit for the marginal and underserved and uh, middle and lower class populations that we serve. And that, that is something that they need to take into account, you know, as they're, as they're debating this. And now, you know, while we believe we're in a good spot, but uh, that's uh, when you never rest on your laurels because Senator Durbin, uh, give him all the credit in the world, one of the, uh, the best tacticians in terms of using the rules of the Senate. And you never know what can get slipped into a bill at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, so we're going to be monitoring and be very vigilant and working with our incredible partners at our leagues all across this country to be contacting offices to make sure that they know that this is not something that should be included in any legislation that passes before the end of the year. Well, so far, so good. Fingers crossed. What were some of the, the biggest surprises of 2022 from an advocacy perspective? You know, a lot of, uh, you know, the partisan gridlock in terms of an inability by Democrats and Republicans to work together on, you know, what is perceived to be bipartisan, widely supported issues and pieces of legislation. Like we have the Credit Union Board Modernization Bill, which, you know, was signed off by Chairwoman Waters and Ranking Member McHenry and getting those to agree on an issue, obviously, is, you know, sometimes like you can't agree that the sky is blue some days, uh, but you unanimously pass this committee 
passes out of the House installed in the Senate because it wants to get worked into a larger package of bills. Um, and sometimes that desire to, you know, create a bill that just has enough good that you can stomach the bad parts of it to vote for it is going to right end us up in a, in a position where, you know, no legislation is going to get passed. And whether it's CLF extension, you know, board modernization, you know, field of membership in the Senate, you know, the, that's disappointing. But I think one of the big surprises is the fact that, you know, credit union priorities were advanced and it advanced very far. If you look at the impact that CUNA as an organization made, um, there weren't very many even minor changes to the governing laws for financial institutions that were changed and CUNO's leading at that with our member expulsion uh, and working with the, NC, you know, the NCA to get those changes done. And it's incredibly gratifying to see, you know, the acceptance of the importance of credit unions. If you go back, you know, four, five, six years ago, it was end of the year, you know, they're looking for money and we're always having to defend our tax status, you know, because they're always looking for that $3 billion. It's not even on the table anymore. It's not a discussion point that that is a fight that they don't want to have. And the fact that uh, it's not even discussed. If you, if you go back uh, in terms of discussion on legislation that's proposed or talking about in the digital asset sphere, or, you know, crypto, I mean, obviously that's getting a lot of attention now with FTX and uh, the hearings on, on that bankruptcy. Yeah, but uh, when Gottheimer, uh, Representative Gottheimer wrote his bill, doesn't mention credit unions, only mentions the FDIC. When Senator Toomey does his bill, only mentions the FDIC uh, and no mention of credit unions. Even the administration had that. Now, now we're at the point where we're at the table helping look at and help crafting that legislation that we move from not even being thought about to being at the table. I think that's an incredible advocacy win that will pay off more dividends into the future because credit unions will be an equal partner at the table because of the hard work that's been done in 2022 on advocacy built upon the hard work of the years prior. So speaking of the, the tax threat, are there certain states where this is more of a threat? Are there any brewing tax battles coming from any of the states that you see? There's an, an attempt to be incredibly creative uh, to go after credit unions, whether it's where banks are selling to credit unions. You know, I, I believe there are some states that are advancing or talking about legislation that would uh, ensure that those assets are taxed or cannot, you know, cannot go into a nonprofit uh, organization. You know, the, the, the tax status fight at the federal level, you know, is is always there. Uh, but I, I think we're prevailing on that one where many offices don't even want to have that discussion. I think that that is now forcing that fight to shift to the states in many areas and whether it's on interchange where, you know, there's uh, legislation to a sales tax as a part of interchange on credit card sales. You know, they're, they're trying to nibble around the edges to use the tax law to impact not only the status of credit unions, but to undercut our ability to serve our members. And it's something we're going to have to be cognizant of because, you know, as they become frustrated in Washington to create a national plan targeting credit unions, they're now starting to go capital by capital, you know, in, in state legislature by state legislature, whether it's uh, possibly looking at our tax status, but then also, you know, throwing up roadblocks for many banks that want to sell to credit unions. What other issues are appearing on the state level, too, in addition to the 
the bank selling assets to credit unions. On the interchange, in terms of the state side of the of the tax issue on credit card sales, they want to go down that road. There's instances, as, as we reference on, you know, banks selling to credit unions. You know, in the state of Colorado, I believe uh, you had an attempt uh, to change state law to allow credit unions to be able to accept public deposits, and then that was defeated. I mean, you know, we're, we're told sometimes to stay in your lane, you know, but we're, we're fully regulated. We're fully trusted as part of this. We've you know, 130 million members across this country. If the Park Board in Fargo, North Dakota, you know, my state where I'm from, wants to put their money in, in a credit union versus a bank, then they should be able to do that. And it should be across the country. If that credit unions are safe and they're sound and they're established and, you know, in those areas where there's laws prohibiting it, um, I, you know, that should be looked at. And I think that uh, you're seeing advocates on both sides of the issue likely going to take a look at it into the next session. But then you're obviously going to have issues with data security. You have states like California and New York being very leaning into passing very aggressive data security and privacy laws that are helping set a national discussion because of their size in the in the total U.S. economy. And that's going to be something that's going to get looked at the state level as well that's going to impact credit unions. Then you have all the issues of the regulation of digital assets, crypto, stable coins, et cetera, at the state level because it has not been done at the federal level yet. So you're going to see a lot of legislation along that line as well. Some that will be inclusive and include credit unions and others that may or may not. But we're working with many state legislators across this country to help ensure that credit unions are at the table starting to be part of the solution so we don't have to come along at the end and try to get credit unions added to any bills. How do you see the CUNA League advocacy priorities shifting and evolving in 2023? I think that to steal something that our CEO Jim Nussel said is that, or kind of paraphrases, that the issues that we fight about or that we advocate for may not change, but how we do it, the importance we put on some ways of doing it need to change because of how people communicate or what's the way to get them. Go back 30 years, you didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have social media, we didn't have video, it was press release and op-eds and the new technology was a fax machine. So how are we reaching out and getting into the next generation of individuals that are signing up to get checking accounts at the credit unions? How are we communicating with them to educate them on credit unions and then also educate members of Congress and elected officials on the importance of a strong and vibrant credit union is important to the U.S. economy and their community. But then also the advocacy that we at CUNA and our league partners need to be a part of on the regulatory side. Much of the rules or the concerns that we have are not not coming from new laws being passed, is being by the rules and sometimes even the tweets or the press releases from regulators, whether it be Director Chopra at the CFPB or the NCUA or at the state level as well, is that we need to be as aggressive in terms of outreach and education and working with those regulators to ensure that credit unions are not harmed by the decisions that, that they make on the regulatory side. And then also, you're starting to see the fact that when those regulators make decisions, a lot of that's not getting taken care of in, in, in the legislature. It's all going into court systems now. So what do we need to do as a CUNA league system to ensure that we are active in working with partners or being the leader or being a part of a team that is part of that, that litigation advocacy to roll back or oppose bad rules and regulations, but then also be supportive of ones that help credit unions serve their members. So it's staying on offense the whole time and... 
Exactly. And that's where we need to be. We need to be on offense because that helps give our credit unions all across the country the tools, the rules, the ability to serve their members and help serve their. It needs to be fierce. It needs to be bold. It needs to be 360. It needs to be 365 days a year. And it needs to be in surround sound that no matter where a regulator goes or a member of Congress goes or an elected official goes, there needs to be a strong sound wherever they are, talking about the great things that credit unions are doing, the need to continually support credit unions. And that's where we have a competitive advantage of, as being member-owned, every single one of our members is a lobbyist. Every single one of our members has the ability to tell the story of how their credit union helps them on a daily basis improve their financial well-being, that they helps them get their first home, set up their first checking account, get their first business loan. The, the areas of this country that have been traditionally underserved, overlooked by the banking system, that we're the first ones to raise up our hands and say, those are the people we are going to go serve. And that is incredibly important and a great message that we can share as professional lobbyists and advocates, but it is infinitely more impactful when that story comes from someone who actually benefited from walking inside that credit union and saying, what can I do to take my first step on that path to financial well-being? Credit unions, we've always had the ability. We have an incredible story to tell, and there's the emotion that we can show, but also to back it up with data, the great data that the CUNA and our team produces to show that this isn't just pie in the sky. You're not just, you're not taking a risk. The risk you are taking by not supporting credit unions is going to hurt people in your community. We'll be right back after this message about CUNA GAC. Don't miss the Credit Union Advocacy Event of the Year, CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference. Come to our nation's capital to demonstrate the credit union difference to lawmakers and to advocate for the financial well-being for every person and every community across the country. Join thousands of your peers and industry leaders for five enriching days of networking, thought-provoking keynote presentations, and actionable breakout sessions. Learn more at kino.org slash GAC. Do you plan on taking any directions for focusing on credit unions, how they foster financial well-being for all, and any new ways that you'll be telling that story? I think yes. I think the ability to marry storytelling with data is incredibly important and getting it in. I'm a former comms director as well up on Capitol Hill. So you live by a motto of, we don't get to pick how people get their information. And for me, it's as simple as that. If they get it all on Facebook, what are we doing to make sure that we're in that communication channel? If they're on Twitter, what are we doing to make sure we're in that communication channel? If they still get the the daily paper, if it's thrown on their front stoop in the morning, what are we doing to make sure that we're there? What are we doing to be on talk radio? What are we doing to be in the magazine? What are we doing to make sure that we're doing absolutely everything and taking advantage of every communication method out there to share the credit union message to ensure that people know that they should support credit unions, they should access credit unions, and members of Congress and other elected officials should be supportive of our efforts to expand our ability to serve their constituents. And what do you see as some of the the bigger threats to credit union interests in the year ahead, and how might you address those threats? A lot of those threats are come from threats to non-interest-bearing revenue. It's the continual assault on interchange. 
a continual pushing for legislation or regulation on overdraft protection. You know, that's not going to change, especially when you have an administration and a director of the CFPB that gives speeches talking about junk fees. And we understand what that really means, but the fee that a travel agent charges you for your resort down in, in Mexico is not the same thing as a fee that you agreed to that is disclosed, that you sign, that you know about when you set up your checking account to sure that when you're at the grocery store and don't have the extra five bucks, but they'll still make that payment so you can take their groceries home and feed your family. And then you have a plan and a system set up, set up to do that. I think that's going to continually be threats that we need to continually be talking about and, and working with members of Congress to educate them on, uh, on the need that these are not issues that they should be supportive of to, uh, to make changes. But you also then have a data security and privacy. That's going to be a discussion point as well that we'll need to be a part of as we move into the the Congress next year. So jumping ahead a, a year from now, what do you think success will look like at the end of 2023 from an advocacy perspective? And what's your best case scenario for the year ahead? I think success is going to be that we've continually advanced the credit union message, that, that we don't have a bill introduced to take away our tax status, that continually not it is not a discussion, that we don't have flocks of members of Congress signing on to the Durban interchange bill, that while there will likely be an overdraft protection bill introduced, that hundreds of members of the House and dozens of members of the Senate don't sign on to. I think that's incredibly important. But also, I think about moving forward on loan our loan maturity rates issue that we had a bill this this Congress with Democrat Senator Cortez Masto from Nevada and Republican Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina to move forward on that one, to get a hearing on the bill, to get a markup on it, on eliminating the MBL cap so that we can serve our members and we can serve small businesses. As we are going into a next year, likely a an economic downturn or a recession or whatever terms you want to put to it, there's going to be a need for credit unions to extend additional capital to many new small businesses that want to be created. So allow us to help serve those members to keep the economy growing and moving forward. And stepping back for a second too, the midterm elections didn't turn out as many predicted that it would. There wasn't quite the red wave that that many thought there would be. But there is a new power shift. There's a Republican majority in the House now. What effect could that have on credit unions in the coming months and years ahead? I think as you look at both this, the changes in both chambers, and there is a change in the Senate that I'll get to, but as a Republican-led House financial services in a House chamber, you're going to see a lot more oversight. You're going to see a lot more discussion on the need to repeal regulation because one of the additional problems that credit union faces is not one massive regulatory change that will put us out of business, but it's the death by a thousand paper cuts. It's this one here that you got to hire a, another half person to be able to fill out the paperwork. And then another rule change over here that you got to bring on another staffer or it's going to take additional time. Those are the ones that scare me the most. One isn't going to take out or just destroy a credit union, but when you keep adding them on top of each other, it becomes harder and harder to not have all of your staff filling out paperwork to send to the federal government, and you don't have anybody to actually help cash their check at the front window. But our efforts to help reform the CFPB, I think you're going to see a more receptive House with many Republican members introducing or advancing legislation to change the structure. You obviously have the Supreme Court case that within the next year might shuttle back to Congress for some changes if the Supreme Court goes down that road. So you're going to see a much more 
aggressive regulatory oversight or oversight of the regulators on the House side. Now, while the Senate was 50-50, you know, the fact, and there was Democrat, nominal Democrat control because of the vice president, the fact that it's now 51-49, they now have subpoena power. So as aggressive as the House is going to be on oversight, the Senate can now be the exact same way but on the Democrat side, someone made the joke, like if it's on ESG or some other, if it's about ODP, you might be one day in the House Financial Services discussing the need to not have overarching federal regulation to mandate changes in overdraft protection. Then you go over to the other side of the Capitol the next day and members are going to be like, why aren't we doing you know legislation that's going to mandate overdraft protection? So there might be a little bit of that whiplash going on, but I think that you have evenly divided Congress again. There's going to be a need and this is where I'm actually very excited on our advocacy side, there is going to be a need to find and identify common sense, bipartisan pieces of legislation that can get passed. And whether it's board modernization, CLF, safe banking, I will throw in there if they can, if they'll actually bring it to a floor vote. The things that credit unions have pushed for year after year after year, this is going to be an opportunity for us to advance that agenda because I like to say, and it's proven out in poll and research data and our ability to get things done as we are as well in Speaker Pelosi's office is we will be welcome in likely Speaker McCarthy's office because we have years and years of trust built up with both Republicans and Democrats because we work on behalf of their constituents and credit union members to help improve their financial well-being for all in their districts. Yeah, that's where that, that bipartisan support really pays off. Will we all be talking about this at the uh, CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference coming up in late February? What do you look forward to most when you think about the GAC? Seeing my credit union family, I think that's what some people don't understand is that there's 130 million of us members across the country, and I am blessed and honored each day to help be one of the advocacy leaders up on Capitol Hill. But and to see my friends from my first credit union, from Black Hills Federal Credit Union in Rapid City, South Dakota, and seeing Jerry and Jerry Schmidt and his team, and my friends at DACCU from the Dakotas that I worked with when I was a met, when I was a staff member for a member of Congress, it's that. We are large, we are impactful, but we are your neighbors. We are your soccer coaches. We're, we're your tellers. We're your grocery store baggers. We sell you the cars on the car lot. It's so incredibly just exciting to, to be able to see people from all across the country, from Hawaii to Maine, that have different accents, different personalities, but united by that same fire in the belly to serve their communities through the cooperative effort of, of credit unions. And what might you tell someone who's never attended the GAC before? What's a good reason for them to go? You're never going to see anything else like it. You might go and have a glitzier experience, but it's going to be very stale and very corporate. That procession of the flags and the, the people that this is the only time they see each other and they're lifelong friends because they met at a GAC 20 years ago. That, those those things, they, they happen in your peripheral site, but you know what's going on. And the, to be a part of that is apple pie to me. And it's 4th of July. It, it's America. That sense of community is incredible and fantastic. And I encourage everyone to at least experience it once because the attraction isn't Washington, D.C., the attract that is the location. The attraction is the thousands of friends you've never met before, but given the opportunity, these will be the people that would be your strongest supporters and best friends for life because of your shared support and love of credit unions. 
Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just hope that if you're debating whether or not to attend GAC, I'd give you my strongest encouragement to do so. It's something that's going to be incredibly impactful. And there's not, there's something about when you see over a thousand activists on Wednesday hit Capitol Hill and fill up the offices and you could go from office to office and you hear people sharing the positive stories of the impact that credit unions are making in their local communities, it's incredibly exciting. And I'd encourage you all to be a part of that. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This February, attend CUNA Governmental Affairs Conference and advocate for the financial well-being of every person in every community across the country. Demonstrating the credit union difference to lawmakers starts with you. Register today at cuna.org GAC.